When being discharged from a hospital or rehab facility, especially after a serious medical event, for older adults, this may not include returning immediately to their home. In fact, research shows that older adults who are not able to recover their cognitive or physical function face a higher chance of rehospitalization, disability, and the need for ongoing care support. That's why it's important to have early conversations regarding care wishes and knowing the resources that are available to help navigate care options. Hello everyone, I'm Cheryl Mijal and welcome to My Care Advisors. In this episode, when returning home isn't an immediate care option, we are joined by Ron Collier and Dina Baroni. Ron is a certified senior advisor and owner of Care Patrol of Southwest Ohio, Dayton, and Greater Cincinnati. Tina is a senior care consultant and holds certifications as a case manager, rehab counselor, and dementia practitioner. Well, welcome, Ron and Dina. Thank you for joining our listeners today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks, Cheryl. And I was wondering, in both of your experiences, what are a few of the misconceptions about returning directly to home especially after a hospital stay due to an injury or surgery, especially for older adults? I think uh, our experience has been, you know, a lot of people think they're just going to bounce right back after the surgery and that's going to fix the issue. Uh, but what we, in our experience, what we see, people put these procedures off as long as possible. And uh, so sometimes, you know, as a rule, it's, you know, two steps back, one step forward. But uh, every now and then it's it's three steps back. And, and you know, maybe the recovery time is going to be a little bit longer than what they anticipated. Um, and so, you know, that's where we, we come in and, and help with some different options and everything. The other thing that I find is that a lot of times... Um, families will anticipate that their caregiver is going to be able to provide the service. So they think, you know, I am going to need some care, but my husband, my spouse, my daughter, my grandchildren can help me. Um, because as we are in those roles, we want to be able to provide that help. But realistically, life is life. And sometimes people are working full time or your caregiver has physical limitations that aren't able to do that. So um, talking about that ahead of time um, is great, uh, but a lot of times people don't do that. Oh, well, thank you for those insights. So if there's a situation where a stroke, fall, or accident leads a loved one to have a short-term stay in a post-acute rehab, for example, and then they learn that they can't go home to the extra support that's needed, what are some of the considerations older adults and their family caregivers really should plan for? This is where... Uh... When, I, when we talk with the family, a lot of times ahead of time, uh, if they are proactive, and hopefully they are, um, you know, you, you got to have a BCP, the backup contingency plan. And so, you know, you, you kind of have to take into consideration the setups at home as far as, you know, are there stairs to navigate? Um is it a walk-in shower or do they still, you know, in some of the older homes, you have the bathtubs and those, uh, those kind of situations, uh, toilets, grant bars, things like that, things that are going to help, you know, when you get back home 
through the recovery process, uh, the logistics of the home. Um, so we, when we're meeting with families ahead of time, we're able to discuss those things. Uh, in your experience, I mean, what, what have you seen? Um, the same thing, the nice, the nice thing about what I was talking about earlier about the, the caregiver thing is, um, you know, whether your caregiver has the ability to provide the care is to really have those conversations. Most people just assume, but have a conversation. What are your limitations? If I come home, what do you think you're able to manage or not manage? But if they're already in the hospital, obviously, sometimes that discussion is, you know, too late, um, sometimes, and you have to kind of pivot. Um, but even what I, I tell my families when they're in rehab or in a hospital, it's really smart um, to take pictures of your home to bring in to the therapist, like your bathroom, your entryway, um, the hallway, maybe measure doorways. A lot of times if you provide that to the therapist, they can provide other um, you know, accommodations or recommendations for equipment or navigation or services. So if they're looking at going home, um, and maybe with adding on extra support, those would be great ways to maybe make that happen. Um, otherwise, it's just making sure you know solidly where your caregivers stand and what they're able to do for you when you get home. Yeah. So, Dina, I'm I'm curious in your experience. Sometimes does this happen very quickly that they need to make decisions about returning to home and ensuring that all everything is set up and ready. Absolutely. Usually in these situations, they're emergency situations. So when we are meeting with our families ahead of time, the first thing I tell them is that you, you know, when they're hesitant to make a plan, I'm fine, I'm healthy. You don't know what's going to happen. So I always tell people have a plan for if you need it. I pray you never do. But if you do need it, things are in place. So Dina, thank you for sharing that. And Ron, I love the BCP as well. That's a really good your thought to keep at the back of your mind is just having that backup contingency plan because in a moment life changes and then all of a sudden you have a loved one in a hospital or coming home for that post-acute rehab and to your, both your points, you have to have, you know, understand doorways, you know, getting everything prepared for them to be at home. Um, the other thing you had mentioned, um, like how long do they have? That was what was key. Like how long do you have to make those decisions if you can't be proactive? A lot of times insurance doesn't give you a lot of notice. So frequently insurance updates require that that they only have a 24-hour notice for discharge. So that can be really unsettling and stressful for families already in the middle of a crisis. So as soon as they go into the hospital, that's when you start planning because you never know the next day you might get notification. So to the point of your how long do they have, you may know when you go into rehab, you have an average of 10 to 14 days for um, inpatient rehab but you may only get a 24-hour notice for discharge. So planning from day one, from the point you get in, is is really critical. So that's a great segue, Dina, from that being prepared to the topic of, of really what happens that you're, from your experiences. And Ron and Dina, I wonder if you could share a client story that comes to mind about the importance of being prepared, knowing that it can happen very quickly, and some of those steps that you and you helped your the families and the individuals you're caring for, how did you help them? Absolutely. Um, we see it a lot um, with, with hospital discharges, of course. You know, everybody is under stress. But there are a lot of things that, that have to go in and take into consideration. So just to talk to the points that kind of will lead into that story, 
Um, it's super critical for families, even if they don't think they need it, is to have their advanced directives in place. So medical and financial power of attorney, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm on the bank account or this is my child and they'll automatically ask me. There's so many things that can be impacted um, if someone is unable to move forward and make those decisions. So having those document, documents in place ahead of time is key. Um, you know, when you need them, you need them. When you need them and you don't have them, you're in a big trouble. So, um, and then having, trying to reach out to a local or boots on the ground kind of consultant like Care Patrol is going to be key because you don't know what you don't know until you find out you didn't know it. And by then it's too late and you've made pretty major decisions without advice. Um, you want to make sure that your consultant has relationships with senior communities and that they also are um, aware of their clinical capabilities for barrier resolution and troubleshooting um, with the discharge planner or the caregivers if they're going home. Because sometimes it's something as simple as, you know, maybe they have a wound that can't be cared for in an assisted living because of the stage it is. But if you involve hospice, then that community can take them. So there's a lot of things by having somebody that has clinical knowledge that you can kind of troubleshoot and eliminate a need to go to a nursing home, which may not be the best situation mentally or physically for, for someone. Um, you, they want to be able to tour quickly when those communities are identified. That's huge because you are on a time frame. You don't know how much time you have. And then request assessments, even if you're interested in a couple communities, because those assessments are going to help you do that final determination of who's going to be most appropriate um, either um, based on location, physical needs, and then finances. You know, we all want to be fiscally responsible. These people work hard for their money, and we want to make sure we're making the right choice with all those considerations. If they're going in and they just need 30 days um, for recovery and they just need a quick respite, um, having knowledge of who has availability and who offers respites is huge. But if there's a longer-term transition, it's really scary for families because they have to set up apartments, right? They have to get all that set up and you're running against the clock with discharge. So it's always important to ask if they have a furnished apartment like a respite room that maybe somebody could use temporarily so that you can respect that discharge date um, at the hospital, not get into extra charges from you know, the hospital, um, but then also give them the ability to breathe and plan that apartment accordingly. So a lot of communities will do that to help facilitate a discharge. And then the other thing is a lot of times medical documentation is needed. So if you have an advocate um, or a senior care consultant that can be that liaison between the community and the hospital to um, to get the history of physicals information done, it helps so much better than relying on a fax machine. It could get lost and you lose a lot of valuable time. So with all that being said, um, one of the stories that, that we have that was really complicated and successful um, is we had a, a gentleman who had unfortunately been unable to go home, had used all of his skilled nursing days through Medicare. So he didn't have any availability um, there. He had an outstanding bill from a skilled nursing facility. Um, so everybody thought he didn't have any funds available. Um, so he has no money. He has no skilled days left. He has to leave the hospital. He's not safe to go home. He didn't have a power of attorney in place. And there was some question about his cognitive ability. Well, when you have that, then it's too late to do your paperwork, right? So, and he also had stage three wounds. So a lot of those things went into consideration plus tube feeding. <laughs> so they came and they sent in help. And I said, I got you. Um, so we started brainstorming with communities and we found out who was able to handle the clinical needs. And if they couldn't, what would need to happen in order for them to be able to bring this gentleman in? 
we had neuropsych come in and do a um, an assessment. They got him, he was appropriate. So we got the power of attorney's paperwork done only to find out that he did have money. He just didn't pay his bill. So when most people would have looked at that situation, they would have been like, we can't place this gentleman. There is nothing. But you have to really dig. You can't just look at um, a, a place to lay your head, right? So I think it's important to have an advocate that can really try to troubleshoot or remove those barriers. And as a normal human family or caregiver, you just don't have that knowledge. So really doing your homework and, and trying to reach an advocate that can help you with that, whether it's Care Patrol or you know someone someone else. But um, you know, just knowing that you find a connection, you find somebody you know you like and you trust, that's key. Um, and we're going to have the best interest. So we were able to get him placed in in a, in a community. He went into a furnished respite room for a couple of days while they prepped his apartment. And um, they had power of attorneys in place. And we got um, all the other issues with wounds and all that taken care of because we got supplemental services. So there you go. There's a, a prime example of what proactiveness and clinical knowledge can really be helpful in the discharge planning process. Wow, that is amazing. You know, think about how complex just his care needs were. And also, like you said, his financial status. So lucky that he was able to get those resources to be able to go to a place where he could be safe and get the care that was needed. Well, hearing this story just really underscores the need for families, as you mentioned, to have a POA, to understand you know, the current situation and put that plan of care together with knowledgeable you know, experts. So I was wondering, if you both could kind of weigh in on this as families would begin to think about, you know, their next steps and what they should do to be prepared. What are some of the tips that you share with those clients that you serve just to help get them starting with those conversations with their loved ones, especially about what their care wishes are if something happens or changes in a moment? Yeah. So, I mean, just letting the families know uh, in advance, some of the potential challenges they could run into. Um, it, it, that's the key, you know, just uh, let them know what the roadblocks are at home. Um, you know, like I said before, the logistics of getting around the house and, and the challenges that you're going to face, you know, following the procedure. Um, I mean, that's, that's huge, but not only that component, but also the outside, outside the home. What are some of the options there as far as resources go uh, that you can pull in and use, whether it be in-home care or uh, in the story that Dina had spoke of, uh, we had to bring in hospice to take care of some of the issues. And those are those are options that most people, they're, it's not even on their radar. So, uh, you know, that's where it helps to have uh, an advocate or a, a local expert to work with to get through those challenges. Especially when you're we're working with individuals that are impacted by Alzheimer's and dementia, these things are key, right? So we have conversations about, you know, are they is this the individual accepting of their diagnosis, and where do they stand with that, um, and are the documents in place, um, like we talked about with the advanced directives. But that at some point, this is a disease that's not going to get better. And it's a hard conversation to have. And it's harder even for individuals to listen to family members. So it's always nice to have like a neutral mediator, advocate, to have these hard conversations and, and tell them, you know, at some point, 
you may not recognize your limitations. And I'm so sorry you're going through this. It's a horrible disease. But let me tell you how you can be proactive and be involved in your decision-making process. You know, your loved ones want to make sure they're doing the best thing they can for you. And the best way to do that is not to avoid the conversation, but to tell them and have a voice and you go and you pick your your community. You tell them what you want and um, and really try to, to to dig into that and and lean into that support because at some point you're not going to be able to make those decisions. And we want you to be as involved as possible. This is your life. And um, we want you to be as, you know, have as much autonomy as possible in that decision making and as much independence as you can have for as long as you can. So a lot of times those conversations are, are easier coming from someone like a representative from Care Patrol than it is family. Um, and it also knows, lets them know and the family know they're not alone in this, that we kind of get where they are, you know, in, in this process and we can provide resources to help them through that journey. Yeah, so important to start those conversations. And as you both have mentioned, the care wishes, just to make sure everything is aligned and that, that people do have choice in determining what their next steps in their care and their setting where they want to live. So I love that. So just to think about any other helpful resources for our listeners so they can access to learn more about being prepared, what are some of your thoughts? You know, there are, there are many, many resources out there. Um, some of them that we work directly with are, are C families uh, utilizing our, you know, the local council on aging or it depends on what part of the country you're in though, to what that, you know, what that they're called, but the area ag- agencies on aging, um, they'll have resources. Uh, sometimes they'll have free home care options, uh, meals on wheels, and uh, just many other uh, low cost or free services that, you know, can are resources to these families that can come in, lay eyes on uh, the family members, make sure they're doing all right. Um, and along those same lines, and we kind of alluded to it before, I mean, the other resources out there sometimes can be the assisted living uh, communities uh, hospice, uh, you know, there's legal resources or legal authorities out there that can be great, uh, great resources as well. And, uh, also sometimes we'll work with, uh, mobility management type companies, you know, to help make the, the home more accessible or just easy to navigate, you know, logistically, uh, for our seniors and elders. There's also tra- there are also transition specialists that um, families can work with. A lot of times it's so overwhelming. The families will say, you know what, I can't move until I get this house downsized. But sometimes you're stuck in the weeds when that happens. So a lot of times I'll talk to families to think about maybe considering a transition. Find your place that you feel comfortable. It feels like home. Move in what you want to move in that's most important to you. And then start downsizing. If you start trying to, you're never going to get where you need to be timely if you stay in the home while you're downsizing. Um, so there are transition specialists that can help come in and help them, you know, purge, donate, um, sell. They can pack them. They can move them. They can unpack them. There's so many resources that can help with that um, that heavy burden of, of downsizing. Um, but also knowing, you know, reaching out to your your state services. A lot of times, if if we know that 
a family doesn't have long-term care insurance and they have limited funds, we can tell them, you know, maybe, you know, it's different in every state, of course, and area, but Medicaid, a lot of times, some of the nicer communities will allow for a Medicaid waiver. If you are in their community for two to three years, they will open up that Medicaid waiver to you. So a lot of people think I'm going to stay home and spend all my money down. And then when I go on Medicaid, I'm going to move. But they lose a lot of really better options for them if they aren't doing their homework ahead of time. So that is, those are some of the things that I would encourage people to look into um, is that there might be a time limit where they can get the best services for the, for their, you know, best thing for their buck, so to speak. Well, thank you for sharing these tips and resources. I was wondering, Dina, I know that you are a certified case manager. So thinking and springboarding off of what you said earlier about the resources and gaining information, how can the family work with the case managers at either post-acute rehab or hospital? I know you mentioned Care Patrol as a resource. How should they start that conversation? Or is that something will automatically start when they're in that situation, they're getting ready to be transferred or discharged? So I'm, I'm going to be honest because I came from the hospital um, rehab world. Um, a lot of times now, the case managers, it's more about discharge planning and not necessarily resource provision. So we do, we do, <laughs> um, case managers in the rehab setting do the best they can to provide resources, but so quick in and out that there is no follow-up. That was one of the things that I felt that was lacking from from what I felt my mission was, is that I didn't have the time to spend with the families to help provide those services. So my suggestion is to reach out to them and just ask um, if they have resources, if they have support group information, but then to ask if they can actually, if they know of an advocate, either a senior advocate or if families are out of state, there are um, you know care coordinators, elder care, care coordinators that can be the family in state to help navigate and advocate for that family. Um, so I think it's a good starting point, but I think realistically, there may not be a lot that they're gonna get from that discharge planner uh, because their focus is on dis discharge planning and coordination of services. Um, they may get handed a list of resources and then left on their own. So maybe asking who their local placement recommendations are or Care Patrol's national. So even just going on the Care Patrol website and punching in their zip code, they're going to find an advocate that's close to them. And that's nice because we're boots on the ground and, and we're in these communities, as opposed to just reaching out to maybe an internet-based company that, that doesn't have that local resource. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dina, for sharing that information. And Ron and Dina, I was wondering, as we come to close for this session, can you share any closing thoughts that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, just that... Um... If you're going into that situation, if you have the benefit of knowing in advance that you're, you know, you're going to have a procedure or be in a post-acute setting, you know, talking to uh, to local experts is great. You can get some plans and uh, some things in place ahead of time. Um, and like Dina was saying, with the case managers, if you can get up, you know, talking to them early. Uh, you have a better chance of success and and reaching your goals for the next steps. Um, it's going to help with a, a better discharge and a better outcome for you. Uh, but just the fact of knowing that there are agencies or services out there um, 
before you go in is also important. So maybe if you didn't do as much planning on the front end, uh, at least you know who to contact uh, and get in touch with, you know, following a procedure or to talk to the case manager about, you know, why you're in that setting. Absolutely. I mean, the case managers are often seen as the bad guy because they're the ones that tell you when you have to leave and you don't feel you're ready. Um, but truly, they really want to make sure that it's successful. And sometimes families will hedge, hem and haul about what they're able to do and wait to the last minute to say that they can't help their loved one at home. So I would really say it's important from day one to be very clear with the case manager about what they're able to be. You know, in order for my loved one to come home, I would need them to be able to do X, Y, Z. And then that allows them plenty of time to focus on those things. It's usually toileting, would be honest. If somebody needs help going to the toilet or needs help with hygiene, that's not something that people can pop in and do, right? Somebody would have to be there all the time. So if that's their main issue, then that allows therapy and case management to work on those barriers to make it successful at discharge. And then also preparing by giving those pictures so they can troubleshoot the home environment. Um, the really quick communication with that discharge planner is going to be key for for a success, whatever discipline um, needs to step in at that time can. Well, thank you, Dina and Ron, for joining our listeners today and sharing some thoughts about why returning home is not an immediate care option. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Cheryl. Listeners, to view resources, show notes, and access more MyCareAdvisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this thought. Age is just a number, but gratitude is timeless. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.